Morning, gang. You look pretty good. Good Thanksgiving, right? Brennan checked in with you. How many of you do turkeys? And then, like, what are some other things that you do? What? Ham? Yeah, that's kind of a traditional one. Ham? Beef? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But what about meat, Jim? What do you do for the meat? You eat a lot. <laughs> All right. My son John uh, smoked some barbecued ribs for us. Those were good. I did some chicken breasts. Those were okay. And then my favorite part of Thanksgiving, though, is we, do, we have a tradition of, because you always have so many leftovers, right? We, we make this Thanksgiving soup. And it's everybody in the pool minus the, the cranberry sauce, you know, and that, that turns out great. I encourage you, if you got lots of turkey and veggies and different things, go home and make yourself a big pot of Thanksgiving soup. It's good for the soul. And that's it for my cooking commercial. <laughs> Today, as Brenda mentioned, we are finishing chapter two. It's like breakneck speed. Hardly know what to do, but we're, as we finish it, we're talking about a very important tension, one that we all feel and one that we all must reckon with, not just once, but consistently throughout our journey with Jesus, because the tension that we're talking about today impacts who we become, because moment by moment we're becoming something, and then it also impacts our ongoing relationship and connection to the Lord. So let me offer you a story here to get us going. A friend of mine was in a similar season as Brendan, little kids, and they actually they just had their first, a two-and-a-half-year-old. And this two-and-a-half-year-old was spunky, and I don't know why this friend of mine decided to come and sit where the Burks are right here, but they came with their young family, and they sat in the front. Now, object A, what is this? Chair. It's a chair. What is that to a two-and-a-half-year-old? It's a rumble gym, right? So they're sitting in the front, so all eyes are on this young family, and little Kimmy doesn't want to sit in the chair, wants to stand. And once she's standing in the chair, Dad sees what's going on, and he goes, <laughs> to which, what is a two-and-a-half-year-old going to do? Go, oh, whatever, sure. No. She goes, so dad's more emphatic. She's more emphatic. Dad goes over, picks her up, puts her down, says chairs are for sitting, not standing. As soon as he went to turn around and go back to the chair, guess what little Kimmy was doing? Right back up, but now with renewed commitment. She's bouncing on the chair like it's a mini tramp or something. The dad's like, and she's like, back and forth they go. He goes, put you back down, puts her in the chair. She sits like this. He goes, chairs are for sitting, not standing. He turns around to go back to his place. Little Kimmy decides to sh shuffle and create some gaps. So she goes around behind mom. So now dad has to walk around mom. And Kimmy goes right back up on the chair. And she's bouncing. Dad comes over and he takes Kimmy down. He puts her down. He says, chairs 
are for sitting, not standing. Now, if you stand on the chair again, you're going to be in trouble with Dad. So Kimmy sat down on the chair, folded her arms. She looked right back at Dad, and she said, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> it's a tension. And that's the tension we feel with our Heavenly Father. Not all the time, but in those moments when he's asking us to do something, it's so easy for us to feel just like little Kimmy and say, I'm standing on the inside. I don't want to go there. But that's our challenge. You see, the whole book of Romans, Paul is devoting towards helping people to live the faith life. He says in chapter 1, listen, the righteous will live by faith. And then he talks about this thing called the obedience of faith, of trust, of being able to hear what God is saying and follow that. But it doesn't always go smoothly for us. We don't always feel like a real ease to do that. There's times where God seems to us, you see, seems to want us to do certain things that we are not so excited about. Like forgiving that person who's hurt you. Loving your enemies. That sounds like it's going to be easy street, doesn't it? That coworker who annoys you, who picks on you, God says, I want you to return kindness for evil. Don't you struggle a little bit and feel like standing on the chair of your heart? And this is what Paul is hitting. And he's, he's hitting some things in this chapter 2 that are so important because all through the book he'll be doing this, but he really zeroes in on some of the things that we do on the outside that we think make it okay to still be standing in the chair of our heart on the inside. They're common. They're things that all of us do. And we struggle with. The first one happened in the beginning of chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If they're on your phone, open those up. We're, I'm just going to read them to you because I want you to flow with me in this. So Paul, knowing that we got this struggle, this tension of being able to flow with God, to sit when he says sit, stand when he says stand, opens up chapter 2 and talks about this judgment. He says, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? In other words, there's this idea of if I can build a case against another, it'll justify my own wrongdoing. If I can just explain it away and say, well, I, I'm not as bad. I'm just standing on the chair. I'm not jumping on it. Certainly that's not as bad. And we hope that that atones, in a sense, for our struggle of heart. When I was a kid, we didn't have much money. And uh, every once in a while, my mom would spoil my dad by buying him a one-pound Hershey bar. And that Hershey bar my dad would put right in the refrigerator on the shelf, because he liked it cold for some reason. And we understood as kids, thou shalt not touch the Hershey bar. But it was like torture, because every time you open the refrigerator door, there's the Hershey bar. And it knows my name. It's calling to me. And I felt this tension. 
So did my sister. And her brain went turning, and she came to me, and she goes, Mark, I have a plan. So, okay, what is it? Well, Dad always opens from the side right there. That's where he's eating from. We're going to go in, take the candy bar completely out, and eat from the back side. He'll never know. I thought, genius. So into the fridge we go. Lisa takes the candy bar out. We slide it out. We break off. One end, see it's two pieces, I eat one, and then we slide it back. Now we thought that that was a pretty locked up plan. <laughs> Until my dad came in and he picked up his candy bar and when he did it went funk. And he knew something was obviously wrong. So we get busted and true to form, true to what Paul is saying here, I informed my mom and dad, it was my sister's idea. She had two pieces. I only had one. Surely that will acquit me from this grievous crime. <laughs> wrong. You see, Paul is saying, you're on the wrong mark. You're focusing on the wrong things. And building a case like that isn't going to bring the life that you hope it does. And so he goes on in the chapter and he picks up where Brendan picked up last week. And in particular, in 21 and 22, he says this. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? In other words, there's this idea of as we go along in this Christian faith, it's so easy to slide off the idea of relating by trust, and to go into a place where we're relating by rules. Because rules feel more manageable. Rules feel more identifiable. And we really like to tell people about rules. When I became a Christian at St. Olaf, it might be hard for you to believe, but my hair was longer than Sharon's back in the good old days. I should have saved some. Anyhow, one of the first things someone told me after I became a Christian is, you should get a haircut. And I said, how come? Well, because it's just important to look good. So I got a haircut. Some of these same people came over and they were in my apartment and they were looking around and they're going, oh, you have Beatle albums? I go, yeah, I have them all. Well, you should get rid of those. I should? Oh, yeah, you should listen to the Beatles. And pretty soon I had all these different rules that were coming on me. Let me ask you, as the rules poured in, do you think I felt freer? Do you, do you think I felt more connected to Jesus? I was more confused. I was more burdened. I was more anxious. Like, <gasps> and when I would go to church, I'd walk into church and I'd think, Ooh, I wonder what rule I get busted for today. It's like walking on eggshells. There's no way when we begin to look at all the different rules that we could pull out of Scripture and build a case for, we'll find life in those things. That's not the intention of the law or the rules. Not at all. John says, 
The commandments of God are not burdensome. They're not meant to be this, this thing that drives us to despair. They're meant to be just a little bit of clues to a better connection. But I felt the weight of it. And see, the problem when you become under this weight of this rules, since you can't do them all, you begin to do what Brennan was talking about last Sunday, you pose. And all of us have experienced this in the church world. You come in and you could have a heartache as, as bad as it gets. And someone says, well, how are you today, Mark? Oh, I'm good. God's really good. And the inside, I'm dying, but God's good. Because I think I got this certain rule, this certain pose, this certain thing I have to put on. And Paul is so desperately concerned about this because that's not real Christianity. That's not the real deal. But boy, we slide that way, don't we? And it leads us to the third and final thing that we do when we're trying to fight with the tension of do we sit or stand on the chair of our heart? It's the closing part of chapter 2 where Paul begins to talk about circumcision. He says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. And you go, oh, those rules? But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than the uncircumcised Gentile. Wow. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? Oh, Paul, slow down. In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. Ouch. What is he talking about? You see, if you go back to that central part of chapter 2, there are so many laws you can begin to pull. There's so many things that we can pull out of there and you can pull out of here. As far as I can tell, there's nothing about getting a haircut after you become a Christian in there. In fact, I went back and told them later, you know, I read about Samson. He never got a haircut. And when he did, he got in trouble. But what happens is we begin to slide off of what really matters towards some rules that we can actually control and do. If you were to go back during Jesus' time and talk to a Pharisee and ask that Pharisee, what's the most important law? What do you think they would have said? They would have certainly said, it is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would not have said, it's got to do with the Sabbath. They would not have said, it's got to do with circumcision. They would not have said, it's got all these dietary laws. What happened to these people who were sincerely trying to pursue God? They didn't reckon with the heart of the matter. They chose rather to go with rules. They didn't work within a relationship of trust. They trusted instead in their ability to fulfill some outward commands. And as you do that, you cripple the real relationship you could have. You're burdened by these laws. You're burdened by these rules. And you're missing the heart of the matter. Which is why Paul finishes the chapter saying this. For you and me are not a true Jew just because you're born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. 
No. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And a true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart. Produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. It's got to do with this. And I can't do it on my own. You see, when I'm over here on the rural side and I've got all these things that I think I need to fulfill, this is one of the biggest problems with the American church and pulpit today is that we preach self-help. I can't help myself. That's the whole point. That's why I fell to my knees and said, Jesus, save me. I screw up my life. And I still do it when I don't trust him, when I don't do it in concert with him. I don't need self-help. I need Savior help. That's what I need. You can tell me the things that I need to do, and as soon as you tell me, I run into I can't do them. All the things that you hear, you should pray two hours a day. Well, that praying two hours a day is great. That's great. If the Spirit of God is leading you in such a way. But the command, you know, that, that was the thing that I am not a morning person. And I had one of these people, they told me, you should have a quiet time. Well, what's that? Well, get up in the morning and read the Bible. Are you kidding me? I can drink two strong cups of coffee, and I, I just go completely dyslexic looking at the Bible. Letters are floating. That's not a spiritual experience. <laughs> That's a natural experience. It's like, whoa, man, what am I supposed to get out of this? So I started reading the Bible at night. <gasps> at night? Naughty things happen at night. <laughs> Not in my house. I read the Bible because I'm alert. And so we need to have this understanding, this change of heart that comes to us. It's the work of the Spirit. Not the work of Mark Spencer. I've had enough of Mark Spencer. I'm tired of letting Mark Spencer run my life. I'm tired of following Mark Spencer. It's exhausting. And it never leads to where life is. It is only when I surrender my heart and I hear Ab and I say, okay, I'll, I'll sit down. I'll sit down. Wouldn't you know it that on that same Sunday, little Kimmy, the two-year-old, at the close of the service, was doing what all two-year-olds do. They do it here, too. Because the building's big to a two-year-old. I mean, all you see is kneecaps when you're down there. And they're running around, and they're just, they zoom around. Like, they run in here and run around the sanctuary. Ah! And then she just got tired of running the sanctuary, and she made a beeline for the front door. And the cars were moving around, busy parking lot. People are going around. And all of a sudden, my friend thought, where's Kimmy? They went to the front door, and there's Kimmy, and she's darting across, and here comes a car moving along pretty quickly. He opens the door and says, Kimmy, stop! She stopped, and the car stopped. And she knew right in that moment, if she didn't stop, it wouldn't have been good. And she just falls down on her knees and realizes, has this epiphany, Whew looks back at her dad 
stands back up and runs to her dad and hugs his leg. And he kneels down and he says, Honey, that's why it's so important to listen. That's why. I'm not just trying to tell you things to do. I'm really watching out for your best interest. Did she learn in that moment? Would she need to learn again? You've all been two-year-olds. My track record's not so good. The reality for us as Christians is the same. I wish it was a one and done. I wish the first time that you trusted God, after that trusting God was effortless. There was no struggle. There were no tensions. There's no wanting to stand up on the chair of your heart. Everything is just so easy, but it's not necessarily like that, is it, people? That's why we're not just human beings, we're human becomings. That's why we need to be listening to a message like Sharon preached where the kindness of God leads you to change, to repentance. It is the work of the Spirit to help me to sit down in the chair and to continue to help me. And as I practice that, I start to become who I really am and start to know who God really is. He's not a heavy taskmaster. He's the lover of my soul. So the title of this sermon is Outward Signs of Inward Work, Part 2. <laughs> because we're always wondering. And the reality is this that if you really want an outward sign for how you're doing in your relationship with God, the number one sign that I can see in Scripture is you have an easy and quick obedience to Jesus. If you are standing in the chair of your heart and you hear the Lord say, Mark, please sit down. That's the best sign you can look for. That's the sign Paul's looking for. That's the heart of God calling to us. It's interesting to me that this whole idea of working in concert and walking with God, the peace that we can discover and the life that we can find there, is symbolized by a symbol that just doesn't make sense. I had first service put a picture up here, but many of you, have you ever seen a, a real yoke, a two-headed yoke that's used for oxen or big animals with the big wood bar across and the rings that go around your neck? Isn't it interesting that it's that image that Jesus says brings us peace and rest? Listen to what he says in Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, we could read that and go, wait, isn't it good to be wise and understanding? But the package in the Greek is really laying, it's, it's that group of people that think they've got it figured out. It's those Pharisees that had God standing in front of them in flesh, saying, no, you've got it wrong. It's not the letter of the law. 
And they still couldn't see because they were sure they were wise. But in their own eyes. It's the little children. It's the ones that find it easy to trust and sin. And Jesus goes on in this very important passage and says, So, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see, when you trust me to guide you, you find a grace, you find a peace, you find a rest. We're closing out 2017, which to me sounds like, wow, where's time gone? 2018 just sounds all the more crazy. But let me ask you this. What about if marking today, we determined as a congregation to become pushovers for Jesus together? And in those places where we're standing up in the chair of our heart, we would in our own personal prayer closet or in our small group or with a group of friends or with soul care or with someone in concert, say, I need help to surrender and sit down in this one. And what if next year, this time, this church became known for the easy obedience of following Jesus? What if? I think it's worth thinking about, do you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and all the places where you turn our brains upside down. I mean, the idea that a yoke is the way we find rest, and yet it makes sense because we stay with you. But yet our hearts struggle. So as we get ready to do the offering, to worship, take communion, we realize that the real act of worship you're after is that we would surrender our lives just a little bit more today. Help us. Holy Spirit, will you come in your powerful way, in your gentle and kind way, and help us to surrender those places where we need to sit down in the chair of our heart. In Jesus' name. I'm no longer a slave.
And I am a child of God. Just make that your own. I'm no longer a slave to fear. No, no. And I am a child of God. Sing, I am. Oh, I am a child of God. Sons and daughters. And I am a child of God. no longer a slave to fear I'm a child of God those places where I might be afraid to do what he says to sit I don't have to give way to fear the spirit of God is working in my heart to say yes amen little Kimmy is now 30 years old she's a beautiful Christian gal, solid as a rock. She looks at that moment in the parking lot as really being a change in a lot of ways for her. In fact, when she faced the challenges of growing up, her and her dad would talk quite a bit about faithful father who watches over you, who cares for you, who knows and has a hope for you. I don't know where you are today in the chair of your heart. If there's something that God's talking to you right now about, you're standing on the chair, or if you've walked enough and surrendered enough where there's an easy obedience, God bless you for that. But I do know this, that we're going to walk through the doors and we're going to step into we don't know what. And there could be a moment today, tomorrow, during this Christmas season where we'll notice, ooh, I feel like standing on the chair of my heart. And in that moment, I hope you remember this moment, that there's a father who's working from the inside out. He does not want you to be a slave to fear. He wants you to trust that you are his child. So sit down. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. It's a season where we often say, Emmanuel, God is with us. Lord, in that tension point, when we find ourselves struggling to give our will to your will, would you remind us of your goodness? After all, it is your kindness that leads us to change. So let that be our reality, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.